Hi, everybody. Thanks for coming back. I'm Juleika Lantigua-Williams. Today, I'm speaking with Rita. She comes from a family of die-hard football fans who have always bonded and sometimes split over sports, traditions, games, and celebrations. Rita is also a die-hard football fan, but she cheers for a different team than the rest of her family. Let's get into it. Hi, my name is Rita Bautista, and I'm in Houston, Texas. And in my house, we call mom and dad, mommy, papi. So I think my family is really crazy about sports. On Sundays when we were kids, we used to get together, and it was kind of like the ability for us to really be loud and let our pride kind of show through. As Latinos, we're naturally like really animated and, you know, our passion and just like our energy comes through in sports. And so Sundays was our space to kind of just be able to like let all that energy out. And normally it was because we were yelling at a television screen, Um, (laughs) whether it was like a boxing match or a soccer game. And then American football became just like this life sport for our entire family to kind of just convene and talk a lot of trash to each other. Personally, I'm a Ravens fan because my family spread out between um, New Orleans and Baltimore. But my family in New Orleans, which my immediate family now lives in New Orleans, they're all Saints fans. And so I became the black sheep of the family living in New Orleans. I used to have to like be a Ravens closet fan until I finally like broke my shell and was like, no more. I'm enough. My team's enough. We went to two Super Bowls and won. And one year, the Ravens just so happened to come down for the Super Bowl. They play in New Orleans and I lived like less than four blocks away. And I finally just like let my freak flag show. And I'm like, no, I am a Ravens fan. I'm going to the Super Bowl. Anytime in the past, I used to have to like hide or like go watch the game in another room or just show up later because they were going to bash me and not watch the games. But now... They have no choice but to watch the games with me because, like, I was so hardcore about it that they finally were like, you know what? If we don't give her what she wants, she's going to go crazy anyway. So we might as well just, like, give this girl her team, watch it with her. You know, I think at any time when you go against the grain of your family and the traditional aspect of things or the way things are, the status quo, your family is definitely going to feel rejected. They're going to feel like, wait, what are you saying? What Our thoughts are not enough. And it's like, it's never that deep, but you can definitely see why it becomes so like, oh my God, estaba contra la familia. You know, it's like, I think that's the thing about being able to own who you are and really being able to understand your family is always, regardless to whatever happens, right? They're always going to accept you again, whether they get mad at you or whatever, like it could be years down the road, but they eventually accept you because it's love. It's all love. We just have different flags. That's all. (laughs) Mine's better. It's fine. As odd as it may sound, the reason why I became such a big Ravens fan was because it made me feel like I was at home in a foreign place that I didn't really care for too much and I wasn't really comfortable with. So like me being able to find that place of home, they never understood that because I never told them like the whole story behind why I became such a hardcore Ravens fan. But like I had a very hard transition moving when you're a teenager and you have all those crazy emotions going on. You try to build your confidence off of things that remind you of, like, that child sometimes, right? So, like, I I get to be a Ravens fan. I get to be a child. But I also get a chance to say no all the time now. And it really 
gives me more power that bleeds into decisions that I make as an adult now when they're not traditional decisions, right? So like, I'm about to turn 36. I'm not married. I don't have kids, not because I don't want them. But at the same time, I don't allow the pressure of family anymore to be that like guiding light to force me to try to get into something quicker than I need to just because I'm trying to quote unquote, become a traditional Latina or like, you know, the the good girl that mom wants me to be kind of thing. Being confident in myself and being able to utilize that passion that I have inside of me, you know, has led me to be a better adult and has led me to make some pretty powerful decisions that continue to grow my life at this point. But I owe that back to my family, too, because the truth of the matter is, is like because we were always comfortable with coming around each other and talking trash and like all this stuff, it's it's almost like it it becomes traditional still for me anyway. So like Sundays will always be a powerful day for me because I will always remember as a child, all of us getting together and watching sports. And it made me feel like I was not an outsider, an outcast. I could yell at the television. I could be as loud as I wanted to be, even if it was just for three hours out of the week and let my freak flag fly. And like, even if I wasn't around my family at that time, I still get a chance to experience that traditional aspect in my own personal way. I thought Rita's story was fascinating because of the way sports illuminate aspects of human behavior, our feelings, and our interpersonal relationships. Plus, I can totally relate. I was basically born a New York Yankees fan. I am not particularly a sports fan, though, but I wanted to understand what we could learn from sports and how to navigate rivalries and those kinds of things. Because in the end, you're still related to your family, no matter who you're cheering for. So to give us some insight, I did what I always do. I called in an expert. I'm Michelle Gassio Harrell, and I am the director of the Vinick Sport and Entertainment Management Program at the University of South Florida. Um, in the Tampa Bay area. And I've been the director for the past seven years, um, been an avid fan, um, collegiate athletes in my younger years. And I'm a professor and I do research looking at uh, Latinos and Latinas um, and their sport fandom. So you heard Rita's story. What do you hear when you listen to that? Um, I hear culture. I hear history. I hear rivalry. I hear sports. I hear family. Um, I hear right. I just heard everything that makes up um, these tribes that we all live in. And sports is a perfect example of that. Um, as with any tribe, right, you have your rituals, you have your customs, you have your foods. Families do all those things. And then culture does, does the same process. And then sports fans do the exact same. So is a sports fandom like a pseudo family? Oh, man. Um so, and I, it does really bring people back to community. I think sports is just a community phenomena. And so you have your diehard fans, um, those that are, will always be a fan regardless of what the team does. And so think about your family members. You love them regardless of what they do. I think probably the best example of like family is that people talk about sports in a we. Like, my team did really well. We mm-hmm. did really well. We won this weekend. We lost this weekend. And when you hear people use those pronouns, um, that's a true sense of community and family. And that's where our diehard fans really um, 
step up. Okay, but in Rita's case, that we turned a little (laughs) bit against her because, first of all, it felt like she had to be closeted for a long time (laughs) when she switched teams. And then she literally kept a secret from her family. <laughs> I mean, please explain this. Rivalries are huge. And, and really, come. I, I was thinking about this talk and conversation. It really comes back to tribes and how we like to be a part of that we, right? So when you have we and then us, mm-hmm. us are those other people. Um, and they're just diehard rivalries. Um, and because of that, you get a sense of we and us. And if you are on one side and you're the minority, whatever that looks like, you're not going to be apt to talk about your shared experience because you don't want the other side um, to think poorly of you or to give you a hard time or to ridicule you. Mm. Okay, so that's all well and good. What are the, What does the data say? What have you found in your research about the sort of social and psychological impact um, on a person and on groups that diehard fandom um, can have? It's, as with everything, both positive and negative. Um, So we have this, we have two phenomenons. We have burging, basking in reflected glory. And what happens is, is when my team does well, I do well. I mean, Latinos really like to do this burging aspect of celebrations um, when the team does well. Then therefore, from a psychology standpoint, you have a positive emotional response, right? Then there's the opposite. It's called corfing, cutting off reflected failure. And what that means is when my team does poorly, I'm like, mm, they did bad. They did poorly, and I, I kind of cut off away from them. And therefore, I'm able to minimize that emotional response that I have. Um, kind of like of when it. your parents say to one another, did you see what your kid did? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it, exactly, right? Like they're cutting, not me, you did that. And so that's that's a good example for sports. So the other thing that happens, and I've experienced this in my own family, um, in immigrants and in other um, ethnic minority groups, is that fandoms are generational and they are essentially handed down. And there is a very real pressure that <laughs> if your grandfather was a Yankee fan and your dad was a Yankee fan, then you're going to be a Yankee fan. Can you just make sense of that for me? (laughs) (laughs) I'll do my best. I'll do my best. Well, the reality is think about it from a cultural perspective, right? Like I have taught you, I have taught you, Nina, that this is who you're (laughs) supposed to love. Right. Right. (laughs) This is this is the path. These are the people you're supposed to love. These are the teams you're supposed to love. Um, And then when people don't have that same passion it's almost an affront to the culture, right? And because of that affront affront to the culture that you are basically saying that "Mm, I'm, I'm in essence better than what you've taught me. And that's not good. So how do you deal with it? Um, You are open-minded and respectful and trying to find common ground. Or what you can do, like my family would do is, they would recognize they were, there was a rivalry. And then on the one day that they played, um, you know, it was the Gators and the Seminoles. You kind of felt like you, you were proud. You owned it. And then that was the one day that you could talk about it. The one day you could deal with it. And then after that, it was over. 
if there are people who are definitely diehard, legit, lifelong fans, how can they nurture instead of force feed um, a, you know, sports affiliations into their kids? The reality is, is those that are super diehard, it's very difficult, oh, right? Wow. It's, it's very difficult. It's, it's has a very religious aspect to it um, and faith-based aspect to it, like, and coming back to like sense of identity. Okay, so now you've got me thinking about identity formation. Say more, please. Yes. So an identity occurs um, based on your lived experiences, right? Where you came from, what your parents believed, what you experience in life, um, what your peers. Peers are a huge influence in identity as well, in particular, especially as we all know with adolescents, college age, so it really, it's that lived experience. So the more that a family can hone in on that identity at a young age, like you will see young children wearing jerseys, infants wearing onesies that say, you know, mm-hmm. go bulls, go bolts. Um, you will see the identity grow stronger and stronger. And that's why actually they have found that if you take your child under the age of two, under the age of two to a sporting events, they are more likely, even though they, they don't really even understand what's going on, they are more likely to identify with that sport team later on in life. Wow. Yes. So you will see babies and infants and little kids, but it's that, it's that shared experience quite young in life. And then it becomes a historical moment that you can come back and think about um, later on in life. And that's you'll find a lot of parents will share it with their children because they experienced it with their parents. So one of the things that Rita um, was really great at explaining was that for her, uh, these sort of like really deep affiliations to her sports teams also came as a result of serious moments of transition in her life. Um, so can you talk a little bit about that and, and why that is, why she, she, she was able to basically find solace um, in these sports affiliations? Yeah, absolutely. So that really comes back to identity, right? So when you are coming into a new community, whether that be you're moving, you got a new job, um, you are in a new relationship, if you can attach to that identity, you will feel better about yourself and you will it'll give you a sense of community that you can connect with. And that, in essence, takes you from an outsider to an insider. That sense of belonging is huge. And then if you find other people around you with that same passion and identity, whether for a team or sports, um, you get a stronger sense of community. And they have found from a psychological perspective that you will feel better about yourself. In my experience, a lot of my immigrant friends and family members have also used sports and sports fandom to solidify their sense of belonging to their new country. Do you have research on that? Is there research on that? What are some of the things that we've learned about that connection? So there's not a lot of research specifically on moving to a country and using sports specifically for identity's sake. We have a lot of anecdotal information on that. Um, so we have seen that when, when people cheer, like for the Olympics, right? You will see this large sense of national identity for the country that you've moved to from an immigrant's perspective during the Olympics. If you're from um, Mexico, you may actually, 
Yeah, you'll cheer for obviously your Mexican Olympians, but if you've moved to the United States, you will also cheer for the American athletes as well. And that's where you see an increase in nationality and identity with your the nation that you've immigrated to, regardless of where that is. Okay, last question. So it sounds like Rita and her family, you know, sort of came to terms with her <laughs> sports choices. <laughs> but for folks who uh, might need some help negotiating these murky fandom waters. Um, What are some of the sort of like more practical approaches that they can have so that, you know, opposing and even rival sports um, affiliations don't get in the way of, of their, you know, filial relationships? I think it relates to almost anything in our lives where we have them and us. Um, whether that be politics, religion, uh, racial tension, whatever it is, I think it's coming back to that common ground, right? Actually, sports provides a great example of where you can have a disagreement and and I love my team and you love your team, but know that we're still family. And because we have that common ground, we're able to understand and appreciate the other person's perspective a little bit better. Sports can be a great mechanism for understanding rivalries, the them versus us, and appreciate at the end of the day, what I love about sports is you have to have both sides, right? You have to have a them and an us or you don't have sports. And I think if we are able to appreciate that and we understand that we need the collective whole, sports is a good example of we have to have cooperation and we have to have a them and an us in order to be successful. Michelle, thank you so, so much. This was really fun. Oh, it was absolutely my pleasure. All right, let's recap what we learned from Michelle. Be open-minded. The same way that you found a sense of belonging with your team and its fans, your loved ones found the same sense of belonging with your rival team. It happens. Be respectful. Everyone is entitled to an opinion. But... You don't have to take that opinion personally. Keep it classy. In sports, sometimes it has nothing to do with you. And remember, love your people. If being diehard fans for a particular team is taking a toll on your relationships, remember that these were your people before they were fan of the sports. Even if you were born into a legacy fandom like I was, and it appears that you don't have a choice. You still love them. They still love you. And when the season is over, that is what's going to keep you guys going. Thank you so much for listening and for sharing us. How to Talk to Mommy and Papi About Anything is an original production of Lampigua Williams & Co., Virginia Lora produced this episode. Kat Hernandez mixed it. Micaela Rodriguez is our founding producer and social media editor. Cedric Wilson is our lead producer. I'm the host and creator, Juleika Lantigua Williams. On Twitter and Instagram, we're at Talk to Mommy Papi. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. Bye, everybody. Same place next week. <laughs>